WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Scientists estimate that we've only discovered 1% of all fungal species. To tell us more about their research on fungi, we're here talking to Alyssa Ball. Thanks for joining us today, Alyssa. May you please tell us more about your research with fungi? Of course. Thanks for having me. So yeah, like you said, we know very little about fungal species on our planet. That includes in the ocean, on the surface of the earth, as well as deep within the layers of rock. We're working to taxonify, which means we're trying to name all of the different species and distinguish all of their different genetics right now. It's nice to meet you, Alyssa. It was really interesting to learn that we only really know 1% of the fungi that exist out there. But really quickly, what's the difference between fungi and animals and plants? So fungi are very different from animals and plants, as well as bacteria. They're their own kingdom. Fungi include mold, yeasts, as well as what we know as mushrooms. So the mushrooms are actually the edible fruiting body of mycelium, which is what fungi is made up of. So mycelium and fungi, they're very different due to the way that they process things. For example, they use enzymes very similar to animals and us humans to break down their foods, but they do that on the outside. They do it extracellularly. So unlike plants that take things in and have internal photosynthesis, mushrooms, fungi, molds, and yeasts, those will be secreting things to allow them to break down nutrients in our soil, in the water, and generally in the environment. That's really cool. I didn't actually realize that molds were a part of the fungi kingdom. So you briefly mentioned that you all were trying to characterize these fungi based on their genetic characteristics. What are you specifically trying to do with that and how? So we want to understand the genetics of different fungi, specifically because we think they can be used for remediation of a lot of contamination that we've got going on right now, specifically heavy metals, PFAS, and other chemicals of concern. So by identifying fungal species, giving them species names, knowing their genetics, we can then test them to see if they are useful at breaking down molecules that are stubborn to break down and contaminate our earth. Oh, so heavy metal like the music? I wish. Nah, I'm kidding. But in all seriousness, are there places that need to be cleaned up from heavy metal contamination? Yes, there are actually tons of sites that are contaminated with heavy metals. Almost all of the industries that we use and participate in from manufacturing of plastics to fabrics to dyes include the use of heavy metals. Therefore, they get dumped into our environment afterwards. A lot of these sites are what we refer to as Superfund sites or Brownsfield sites. Those have been classified by federal agencies as sites that are deemed unsafe for people to live on or grow food on and are in need of immediate remediation. We actually recently had an episode about PFAS. And regarding whether it's PFAS or even heavy metals, whenever the fungi absorb it, do they necessarily break it down or do they just keep it there? 
I'm wondering this because what happens whenever they degrade? Wouldn't the heavy metals or the PFAS just end up back in the earth? You have a really great point there. In some instances, you could think yes. But the cool thing about fungi is the way they interact with metals. They have an ability to deionize metals into an elemental form or a form that is not toxic. Metals can be charged, which make them more reactive. When something is more reactive, you can sort of think of it as being more dangerous. So what the fungi do are able to change the elemental form of the metal so that it is more usable by plants and less toxic to humans, which makes fungi a great candidate for remediation. Bacteria have also been shown to do this, which is where we got the idea from originally to look at fungi. But bacteria don't have as many interesting capabilities as fungi do specifically the enzymes that they use to change these metals into less toxic forms. It's really interesting. It kind of mixes the field of physical chemistry as well as biology. However, what are the differences between the mechanisms when a fungi is dealing with heavy metals versus something organic like PFAS, for example? Is it easier for fungi to deal with one versus the other? Interesting question. We are just starting to research PFAS, so it's a difficult question to answer whether fungi are better at taking up PFAS or heavy metals. Heavy metals, though, show a lot of promise due to the fungi's capability to actually change the charge of the metal. So because fungi use their enzymes to change the pH, so the acidity or the basicness of the soil around them, they are able to manipulate the metals much easier than they are able to break the bonds in a PFAS compound. PFAS are fluorinated compounds. They're a fluorine attached to a carbon, and it is a very strong bond to break. So it takes a lot of energy. Fungi, though, possibly could have those capabilities with their enzymes with future research, which is why we're interested. Whenever I picture fungi growing, I think of it growing like in a forest under some shaded tree. However, these heavy metals and PFAS are not only in those environments. What types of fungi are you growing and what kinds of environments can they thrive in? That's a great question, actually. The main species of fungi that we are looking at is called Aspergillus. There is a lot of previous research on this species, so we think it has a lot of promise. But as I previously mentioned, we have made great progress in identifying new species, so we are also testing those as well. Another good point you made was that contamination is not limited to ideal environments where fungi are usually found. That is the other amazing thing about fungi. They are incredibly diverse, and we have found them on almost every surface across the earth. Fungi are found in streams, in lakes, in small ponds, in ditches, as well as throughout our soil, on trees, and on rocks. So we approached this by looking for fungi from extreme locations. In our case, we collected fungi from a contaminated copper mine, hoping to find fungi that were already very tolerant to high levels of copper. Species like this are called extremophiles, and they're very useful when trying to combat issues of remediation or new issues that come up in our everyday lives. 
So it sounds like this project has really started in two different areas, but you're all going towards the same direction, trying to understand the diversity of the different fungi that exist. I could understand why one would want to just start with fungi that are already found in an environment that you're interested in cleaning up, but then what's the motivation of starting from the opposite direction where you're just trying to codify the genome sequences for all of these different fungi? That's a really great question, actually. So the importance of identifying and giving names to all the fungi allows us to do more specific research on each species. A lot of fungi are symbiotic with plants as well as the microbiome that they are within, and they're a very integral part of that. So being able to know what species we're exactly working with gives us a great starting point if we wanted to use those genetics in any other type of way, such as CRISPR or some other kind of biological engineering. Now, when you say biological engineering, would you be able to maybe edit these fungi to grow in, for example, cold environments or all throughout the year and to do what you'd really want it to do? Correct. In a nutshell, by understanding what the genes are at play, we can sort of build our own organism that might be perfect for the job, making tackling very diversely contaminated areas, areas that have many different types of contaminants that are not compatible with one treatment method. This means that we might be able to create a new method to handle specific environments. <laughs> 